Well, we're excited to uh, jump in back into to Luke here, part eight through the journey. But before we open up the text here in, in Luke 8, I want to hit on groups really fast. We're in the group sign-up season because they start not this week but the following week, and we have a ton of opportunities on what Bruce just pointed out to you, the connection card. While you're filling out the front of it, as soon as you get that done on the back side, there's a bunch of options. You can see what day works best for you, uh, maybe what thought works best for you. We even are doing an online discussion group if your schedule is insane uh, or you already have a group of some sort and so you're outside of those that are listed. Uh, you could sign up there by checking the box. What we'll end up doing is a group leader will contact you. They'll send you an email because our main form of communications email will send you an email invitation to the online group and then you can begin to engage and interact that way. Uh, so you'll have to RSVP for that again in your inbox, but that's just the way technology works right now. Uh, we're hoping to solve that someday in the near future and maybe make an app or something. Did I just say that way out loud before it's time? Anyway, so here we go. Uh, the uh, groups began in just one week, so get ready for that. And speaking of one week, next Saturday we have a cool opportunity again to, to be present with our community and serve uh, in a way that we did actually two years ago. Beautify Bonnie Lake happens the third Saturday of every September, and, and like 600 volunteers from the community, tons of students get in their community service hours, and, and others just come out, organizations come out, and, and like in mass show up at 8.30 at the park and ride, and then go out to all these different beautifying projects around the community, just, just really show the city that... Uh, uh, they want it to be beautiful, and they kind of care and give back. It's a, it's a cool moment. And uh, so from spreading beauty bark to doing all kinds of things, I was like, well, I want to tell our people what we're going to do. So I called them and, uh, and kind of arranged to do the project we did two years ago, which is just across the street. There's like this trail through the middle of the neighborhood across the street. I don't know why anybody would walk it. I wouldn't want my kids to. But anyway, we're going to make it more beautiful. And we're going to make it to where you can walk side by side, like two people at a time. And uh, so we're going to be cutting brush and blackberries and tearing up roots and chopping down trees. Really green thought, right? Really caring about the land, chopping down trees. Anyway, no, just little, like, shrubs. Um, and pouring some gravel, so cutting back some weeds, pulling some weeds. So I know it's so funny. If you're a parent, you know how this rolls, right? At home, you try to get your kids to go out and do gardening. They don't touch it. They won't do it. They won't go outside. But then you say, beautify Bonnie Lake. And they come out and they're like, I love pulling weeds. You're like, who are you? Come and find out who they really are at Beautify Bonnie Lake. You can sign up for that in the back or, again, on, on the website, livinglifeopen.com. We're just going to have a bunch of fun. And uh, uh, I get to actually lead the project. You ever do that? You're like, hey, you know, I went and walked the trail with Preston this week, and we were eating some blackberries and kind of going, man, there's gravel needed. You could put some steps in. You know, I had all these different thoughts, and I was like, hey, what, what's the project look like? Because here's some thoughts that I had while I was walking the trail, and they're like, great thoughts. Would you lead the project? I was like, I did that, didn't I? I did that. I set, stepped into that one. But uh, so we'll, we'll be out there. 20 to 40 people are needed to pull the project off, so come and join us. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so Luke, we are in Luke, and uh, Luke 8, verse 26, one of the interesting passages. I mean, if you're a visual person, this passage is like candy to your thoughts. So here we go. 
they sailed to the region of the Gerizines. Wait a second, time out. Last week we talked about it and you saw it in the video. They were out, Jesus said, let's cross the lake. They got out in the middle of the lake. Jesus was taking a nap and was totally, the boat was swamped and he was just snoozing, sleeping his eyes, right? Just all the normality of humanity. And uh, the disciples woke him up, thought they were going to drown, but he was like, this storm, peace be still, right? And all of a sudden it was still and he probably went back to sleep. And then they got to land and when they got to land, we pick up the story in verse 26. So they sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Man, how many people actually approach Jesus the same way, right? They're nervous. They need hope. They need peace in their life. And they're thinking, man, if I go to Jesus, he's just going to torture me. He's going to torture me about myself. It's not the heart of God, is it? Verse 29, Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man, and many times it had seized him and thought he was, uh, uh, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. I think it was probably more like Legion. Right? Don't you just kind of see that? You're like, it was that moment. Legion, this voice comes out of the dude. He replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. I'll explain all this in a second. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission when the demons came out of the man and they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off. I think so, right? And reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people, all the people of the region of the Gerizines asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return home, return home, and tell how much God has done for you. So the men went away and told, uh, the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Isn't this very interesting? This story 
Today's message is titled, Return Home. I used to work when I was brand new in the faith. I worked at a place called Underhill's Fine Wood Furniture in Totem Lake. In front of Underhill's, we had a barista stand, like that would, she would wheel in and out every day from the store, and, uh, and, and just the nicest gal. And, and so I got to know her as I, I worked sales inside, and she worked barista outside. I would drink a lot of coffee, nothing new, right? And uh, back in that day, it's when they first came out with those uh, turbo truffles. Anybody remember turbo truffles? These little chocolate truffles packed with caffeine. Well, I was a sick young adult, right? And so I decided every time I would go out, I used to drink a mocha at the time, I think, and, and she would like melt turbo truffles in it. And it would keep me awake on an empty sales floor, right? It was just kind of the reality of the job. So, you know, we, we would just hang out and talk and, and, and chat life. And I remember one distinct time I'd been starting to go to church. I'd made a decision to follow Jesus. It was brand new in the faith. And I'm talking to her, and all of a sudden she starts talking about a dream she has to open up a coffee shop on Capitol Hill. And I'm like, that's so cool. You should do that. That would be amazing, you know, and we're having this conversation. And then she got this really weird look on her face. Her face began to, like, distort and become very unnatural. And she says, I'm going to call it witch's brew. What do you think of that? And she, like, ran into the back of the store to, like, the kitchen area. And I was like, that was creepo, right? I was just like, what was that? So I started, like, reading a little bit in the Bible going, okay. Um, pretty sure, like, if, if I, the word manifestation comes to mind, right? When I saw that, I was like, I've seen Ghostbusters. Let's go rewatch the movie. What'd they do? You know, and I didn't have the little catcher thing, so that wasn't going to help. So I was just like, uh, you know, I was like, what in the world? The younger people are like, Ghostbusters have never heard of that movie. Uh, sounds like an interesting one. But uh, the, uh, you, you look here, and I was, I was like, this is kind of really interesting. I started to read on it. You know, and one of the verses that always comes to mind when I've dealt, because I've dealt with, like, manifestations of, uh, uh, of evil and, like, demonic manifestations in people before, and I just go back to Proverbs 15.1, which isn't in your notes, so you might just jot it off to the side, but just Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, and a harsh word stirs up anger. It's like, I'm not the guy that if somebody comes in demon-possessed, I'm just going to go, ah! because I think the demon-possessed person would go Rah! back, and I just don't want that moment to ever occur. Well, so here we are in the store, and the weirdest thing happened just a few weeks later. I, I come to work after church on a Sunday, and I walk into the back, there's the kitchen area where she like disinfects all of her stuff, you know, so back there, and that's where our office was as well, and delivery. I, I go back into the back, and, and, and just doing some work, and she's crying in the corner. And I was like, are you okay? And, you know, went over with, with heart of compassion, still a little freaked out remembering, like, you know, what is wrong? You know, this moment in the front. But I was like going over and, and, I was, and she's just like, my life is just shambles. And she's just crying. And I was just like, you know what? It's going to be okay. She just kind of looks at me and she goes, I just don't know what to do. I have no hope. I have no peace. And I was like, I thought, okay, I'm going to cross a line here professionally, right? I'm going to share my faith with this girl right here in the store. And so I was like, 
It's not really a line, but I thought I was crossing a line. I mean, why not share your faith? But I was just going, I'm going to risk this. Okay, here we go. And I was like, you know what? If you need peace in your life, I know how you can get that. Through Jesus. And she's just kind of really responsive. And like her eyes began to get those beginning tear, not cry, but beginning tear in it of like hope. And, and I was like, if you want to receive him and just have crazy peace, can I pray with you? She's like, yeah. And uh, I was like, Lord, just repeat after me. Lord, I invite you into my heart. And she's like, she starts screaming. She charges at the front of the, she charges out like there's a customer buying something at a counter in the store. And if I remember right, she shoves them over. Like they're buying something inside the store. She's screaming just like, you know, man, total like distorted face, walking out the store, shoves a customer who's buying like thousands of dollars worth of furniture, walks to the front double glass doors, and when she hits those doors, they shatter. Metal like bar, glass door, big store front doors, right? Those doors are broken off, and she leaves, and we never saw her again. I was like, that's what a demon-possessed person looks like, right? It did not have a happy ending. I was not like Jesus in the moment, and I did not go, you know, out in the name of Jesus, and she was all of a sudden, oh, there's a herd of pigs. Can I please go make bacon? You know, it wasn't any of that. It was, there's no good man flavor at the end. It was just like over, and she broke stuff, and the latte stand's sitting there, and we're like, what do we do, right? And, and all of a sudden, a customer's freaked out. I was like, my heartbeat was just like, I'm like, what happened? And it was kind of freaky, honestly. But we see this all throughout Scripture, and there's references to Jesus. When they were bringing people to Jesus, he would often heal them, deliver them, cast out demons from them. And it's like, okay, so what's all this Satan and demon stuff, right? And so I thought today we could look into it a little, but I just want us to think for a second of the simple impact in this text. The simple impact we could have in those around us, if we, would just, if we would just do what Jesus concluded there, if we would just return home and share all that God has done for us. We don't have to have a big demon possession story or casting out Satan or, you know, there doesn't have to be this huge moment where somebody's elbows dig into the wood floor and we're like, wow, supernatural strength. It was either method or demon, right? And you're just going, what was that? We don't have to go home with that story. We can go home with simply having hope and peace, but we need to return home and share all that God has done for us. And for some of you, that's going to be returning home to maybe not a welcoming environment of a discussion about what God's done for you. Obviously, in this town, they weren't too pumped about what Jesus had done. They asked him to leave. This guy was the last hope for that city because they sent the disciples packing. They just didn't realize that there was a brand new disciple that was going to come and just share hope like no other. I don't know, it's interesting. And some of you are sitting there going, okay, come on. Come on, Pastor Thad, one o'clock game. Don't worry, we'll get you out of here on time. So hopefully you're not thinking that. But you're going, okay. And some of you are already on the NFL network because it's free on Verizon. I'm on it right here on my cell phone. I have it going. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, 
I could do that, though. It's like, why keep a clock when I could just be watching a good game here? Which one should I choose? But I'm looking at this going, this story. Some of you are sitting there going, come on. It's for pastors and evangelists and those with gifts of sharing. All of us aren't supposed to be these, like, return home and share all that God has done. I, I just disagree with that. And I think that's one of the biggest lies of our culture is for us to, that we have to be silent about our faith, that we need to not share, that we need to not tell. It says here, this guy told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. And I think that's what God desires for us. That's what He wants us to discover here. Not necessarily the power and authority we have to cast out demons. He wants us to know that too. And He's going to be sharing about that in the coming weeks more. But I'm just looking at, like, if we could just get the whole return home and share, return to work and share, return to those who know you, let them visibly see the difference in your life of what hope and love and grace allows to happen. It's life and it's fresh life and it should be recognizable in you. And uh, so it's just a lesson that we need to grab a hold of. Discipleship understood is, uh, and that's what this guy became. He became a disciple and he understood. He just, his role was to, to share. I think maybe that's why the, the early church put this huge emphasis you can start reading the book of Acts and see the emphasis of, hey, if you've given your life to Jesus, be baptized. Because it was that first moment of going public with their faith. It was that first moment. And that's why we say, you know, when, when you're baptized in water, it's a moment where you're literally identifying yourself with the death and resurrection of Jesus. But you're going public with your faith. And what a great opportunity to start to share all that God has done for you. And nowadays, you know, we don't necessarily, like, if you check the box to make a decision for Jesus, we don't have a tank right in the back, and we're like, stay, you can't go home until we dunk you, full submersion in water, right? We don't do that, but we will in a couple weeks. So some of you that have never been baptized in water, what a great application for today to just say, okay, I'm going to go public. I'm going to begin to share all that God has done for me, and what a great moment, but to invite my family and friends to, to see me be baptized here at Open Life. But for those who decide on that day spontaneously, we'll video it, and you can still share online. We live in a wonderful day where we can share what God has done for us. We need to share it all over town, though, not just here. I love the challenge here to return home and, and share, and I just think that something about that when I started studying this was resonating to me so deeply and, and, and the first part that, like, really caught me, though, honestly, and I think it's interesting, is we always try to make this thing, this discipleship thing, or we always try to make our life before we start sharing what God has done for us so clean and neat and tidy, don't we? We're like, well, when I'm strong enough in my faith, I'm going to share. When, I'm, when I have it all together, then I'll begin to share my faith. You know, we kind of want to be perfect, which is not the goal. Do you think this guy was perfect? Do you think this scene was perfect? You know, we want this neat and tidy image of Christianity and, and, and this little package that's pretty and in a box and understandable that we can hand on to somebody else. I think, honestly, the most beautiful moments in faith, like this moment, are really ugly, messy, unscripted, powerful. 
I don't know if you've ever turned on Christian TV. Some of you, I'm sure have. But if you have, not necessarily making fun, maybe just a little, um, you watched it. It's easy to think that demon possession and freedom from demon possession looks all neat and tidy where you have somebody dressed very nicely in a very nice, beautiful church coming forward and their nice, beautifully dressed friends and the neat and tidy people are praying with nice and neat and tidy people in suits praying for somebody. And then the neat and tidy people, they even have like the neat and tidy like little modesty cloths, I think they call them, you know, that they're going to put over the nice and neat and tidy dressed lady so her legs don't share and tempt the neat and tidy guy who comes forward for prayer and the neat and tidy gold, you know, plated chairs on the platform. And you, you get it. You've seen it, right? Why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, well, ain't that neat, right? Ain't that neat? Um, I, just, I just don't see that here. I don't see that in this story. As I, as I read the passage over and over, and I, I don't see the suit and the modesty cloth. And Jesus did not say, hey guys, uh, you know, oops, we showed up at the tombs. Oops, this is the graveyard. Why did you come this way? Uh, Jesus, remember there was a storm. You went back to sleep, Jesus. You know, we're trying to figure out who you were. It's, it's, when he shows up, there's no oops moment. He doesn't get out of the boat and go, oh, very, very, very naked, awkward-looking man coming towards us. Guys, cover your eyes. Disciples, cover your eyes. This is not for anybody, right? He's buck naked, guys, in this story. And, and he's coming at him. He doesn't say, disciples, can you go back to the boat in the back? You'll find some modesty cloths. Just in case you think this guy needs it. I hope he doesn't bow down. Oh, he bowed down. Holy moly. You know? Why would he do that? This is the story. I mean, okay, if, if it's hard for some of you to envision, I need two volunteers. We'll just act. I'm just kidding. Totally. So, <laughs> okay, who wants to be the demon-possessed guy in this illustration? It's going to be awkward, but I don't have a modesty cloth. Um, I'll be Jesus. He's going to bow down. You guys okay with that? <laughs> see what it, you see what somebody saw? At least the pigs saw that. I'm just saying. It's awkward. Most likely, the disciples, Jesus, they're wet. They're dripping. They just came across the lake in a storm. Jesus may still be wiping the sleep out of his eyes. And this demon-possessed guy that would break chains and break out of prisons, he's lived amongst the tomb. He's been naked for years. It's not a pretty sight, I'm sure. This is just awful. I think God has a sense of humor sometimes in these moments, right? He's like, man, they're good. somebody's going to read this and they're going to slow down. <laughs> this is going to be funny. This one, when we were looking for a good bumper for this part of the series. We thought this wouldn't make the best one to put out there, you know, for you to watch every week. The storm was much more modest. So we stuck with the storm. Ratings, there's junior hires here. <laughs> it would just be awful. Um, so I look at this and I go, this guy has a legion inside of him. Do you know what a legion? In this day, he's, that's speaking the language of the day, Roman soldiers, 6,000 soldiers as a legion. I once 
met a guy that started what is known as the Pentecostal movement of our day. Uh, I was at a church, and we went out to lunch, and, and this guy was prophetic, just anointed by God. Like, he started the, he was there with the people who, like, prayed and first spoke in tongues and interpreted and went out and started spreading the Holy Spirit fire around the world, and, and he wrote these books, They Speak in Tongues, and Harold Bredesen was his name, an amazing guy. And he sits here, and we're at lunch with the guy, and every once in a while, he would just like stop talking and start praying, and you're really nervous in whatever restaurant you're in, right? And he would speak a word over like somebody on staff, and it was powerful. It was like really intimidatingly awesome, because you're just like, what's he going to say to me, right? And I always try to lighten the atmosphere with humor. And there was this moment where he's speaking over multiple people, and, and he's just old, like he, he needed help. He's just like at the end of his life and sharing these powerful words over people. And I remember he had yet to share anything about me. And uh, my pastor at the time looks over and says, hey, wh what do you think about, you know, do you have a word for Thad? And when he looks at me, I did this little cross-eye thing I do, you know, just to kind of be funny. I did this, like, thing where I just move one eye like that, you know, and, and he looks over at me, and here I am going, yeah, what do you, what do you think about me? And he goes, he goes, I think there's more than one of them in there. <laughs> I was laughing so hard, and he started laughing. I just laughed, laugh, old dude laugh. It was awesome. And uh, I just, I, I, I can't imagine a legion. I can't imagine saying, uh, you know, hey, how you doing? And they say, we are good. Well, I guess I can't imagine it because I've had that happen in my life where I said, hey, dude, how you doing? This guy, Moki, would always come into our service. He's a demon-possessed dude in Auburn, and he would walk into the church, and I'm like, Moki, what's up? What are you doing here? And he'd, you know, how are you doing? And he would go, we are good. We are strong. You know, I'm just like, well, we are too. You know, it's just like, you know, so it's like you always have those moments so that does exist in our world here today still. Here's another interesting part that is not neat at all in the story. Just inserted that maybe you wouldn't catch. A herd of pigs? Jewish country? They don't eat pigs. That means one of two things. These pigs and this herd of pigs was like an illegal, like, monetization project going on in the hills and the tombs. Why would they have their pigs in the tombs anyway, digging up the dirt? Awkward, you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, or, uh, so it was either non-Jewish people, like, trying to make money off the people who are still eating pork behind the scenes and nobody else knew, because bacon is good. Anyway, so, or they were... Uh, Jewish and doing something that was unlawful for their faith. Either way, a herd of pigs is an unjust moment. Because some people like can read, you can read this story and this powerful thought, return home. And you're like, yes, I'm going to share. You know, and we can say, you could be free today of demon possession. Other people are like, I could be free. And then there's people going, all of the pigs. You know, it's like I've seen the movie Bay, Bahre Mew. What did they go down in the water for? You know, and you're just like, okay, the pigs. Let me address the pigs. Kind of messy. It was illegal. So by them dying, it was a just moment. Isn't that kind of weird? It's in the story. Hug a tree later. Here we go. Um, 
So this is messy, all of this right here. This is just, wow. Jesus gives the permission to these demons to go. So it's like you see Jesus' authority over demons. Um, it was just unbelievable. And then all of a sudden they come back and they find the dirty guy that's been naked for years, clothed in his right mind. What a powerful vision for them to see. No wonder they were freaked out. They were so freaked out, and the hearts of the locals were so scared by what happened. They just couldn't understand it, wrap their minds around it. But yet, they were left with a very powerful witness, because the guy stayed. I mean, they had to deal with this. I wish we had the rest of the story. I wish we could go back to the town and see 10 years down the road, how are they treating this dude? Did he reintegrate into community? You know, it's just so, so interesting that Jesus sends him back to impact his community. There's a passage that's reflected on that was written by Isaiah originally and grabbed a hold of. And speaking of Jesus and challenging you and I, Philippians 2, 5 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. What did this guy run to Jesus and do? He bowed to him. He bowed down to Jesus, right? It says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the middle of this amazing redemption story, Jesus is once again proving his power and authority over every spirit, every demon, every level in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What a powerful reality we get to witness here in Luke 8 by this buck-naked, demonized guy with a legion of 6,000 inside of him. Now, let me be clear, because I'm not like a demon hunter. I'm not going to have a show on A&E or something, you know, tonight. It's like, welcome, Thud Huff, the demon hunter, you know, and you go around. Although I did hear, like, like the story about some dude up in Kirkland who thought he had ghosts in his home or whatever and was, like, trying to find some buddy to come and cast out the spirits. And I was like, okay. You know what I'm saying? It's like, why not? It's not something to be feared. We have authority over every element of darkness and every force that is out there. So, so what do we know in Scripture? How can we like be more emboldened in our faith? Let's, let's jump in really quick and look at, at some stuff here. Four things. Uh, but first, Luke 10, 18 says, and it's Jesus speaking, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The first thought is, Satan is a real enemy. Satan is a real enemy. We're very focused in our nation right now about our enemies, right? So I thought this would be an applicable thought. Um, Satan is a real enemy of humanity. And ultimately, what we get in Scripture is that Satan was a, an, an angel in heaven. He was, he was close to God. He was on a hierarchical level of angels or whatever in heaven. And um, 
but he wanted to be equal or thought he could be greater than God. And so he was cast out from heaven before the creation of the world. And, and he was an influencer, so he took like a third of the lower angels with him. It's just kind of what you can read. And I'm not going into a detailed study today, but just to kind of give you a snippet. This is the cliff notes of how this all plays out, right? And these angels became the spirits we know of, or the demonic realm, or the, 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 these are the special forces of Satan, if you will, that go out and, and work his bidding, because Satan is not like God. Satan cannot be at all places at all times, and can, cannot go to and from. He cannot listen to everybody. He's not with everyone. Satan is, is, is one, and he has to send demons out to do his bidding, where God is at all places at all times, and it's omniscient, omnipresent, all those different things. The abyss being spoken of is the promise for Satan from God. The end of the book is written. You can read in Revelation that he'll be cast into a lake of fire, him and, and, and all of his demons. And you look at this and go, oh, so that's why the legion inside the naked dude is, they're saying, don't cast me into the abyss. They thought Jesus had come because they knew Jesus. They thought Jesus had come for their eternal judgment, but that's not why He was present. He had come to redeem the world. And so they were like, don't throw us into the abysses at the time. And He's like, nope, you get bacon, right? That's kind of their, their choice is some good hot dogs. It wasn't kosher. Uh, so Ephesians six ten through 12 says this, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Point two, demons are the forces of our enemy. Demons are the forces of our enemy. These demons are, again, spirit beings that have personality, intelligence, behavior patterns. They have great authority in the spirit realm, and humans are their enemies. They would love nothing more than to destroy us, than to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10 says. But we do not have to be afraid because we have been given authority and power over them, as promised. We need to stand firm in who we are so that we can stand up against the schemes of the devil and the enemy. Romans 8, 37 says, In all things we are more than conquerors through Him, Jesus, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels and nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when speaking about the demonic or Satan or those things, it's not to give us fear over an enemy. It's to give us comfort in our position from the one who loves us, that we're safe, that we're at peace, and we're carriers of an understanding that whoever is facing demonic struggles, they can be at peace too. But we have to voice up. We have to share that they can be free, even if it means Somebody's going to manifest really freaky like in front of you and like break a couple glass doors or something. But we can't be silent. 
We can't keep the truth of freedom inside of us. Point three, Jesus has authority over all demonic powers and Satan himself. Jesus has authority over all demonic powers and Satan himself. So that's why we need to follow Jesus. We need to choose to confess Jesus as Lord so that we're united with the superpower, right? <laughs> like this, is, this is like good. Luke 4.18 says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus preaching his first sermon, remember? Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And get this, He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed. Isn't that what He just did in Romans 8 to this naked dude? That's just who He is in my mind. He's the naked dude. That's what He does. He frees this guy. He absolutely releases him and frees him from the prison that he'd been placed in by others who didn't know how to deal with his stuff, with the mess of his life. Jesus came to set those who are oppressed, possessed, free, releasing them to return home and share all the wonderful freedom they now have in Jesus. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power over death. That is the devil. Jesus not only conquers demons in the scenario like Luke 8, when he died and rose again, he conquered death, hell, and the grave so that by putting our faith in Jesus, we have eternal life. Like he's won all the victories. Why would we not want to be on his side? Just unbelievable to me. He's totally dominated. Final thought, point four. We have authority in Jesus' name over our enemy. We have authority simply in Jesus' name over our enemy. Luke 10, 19 through 20 says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It's easy to all of a sudden, you know, call the TV and say, yeah, I cast a demon out, so now I need a television show. Follow me, and I'm now the demon hunter. Right? Ghostbusters. No, that's not like the deal. The deal is just in humility. Yeah, so if we help set somebody free, awesome. But what we should be praising God for is we're like on his team. We've been saved by grace. Our mind must be set on our love from God and our love of God, not rejoicing in our works, because that's not how we're saved. We're not better than anybody else on the planet. We should love all. Acts 26, 17 says, I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that powerful? We're supposed to be out there on the mission, in the field, in the community, at home, returning with good news. Worship team, come on up. Final passage I'll read while they're coming. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, these are disciples after Jesus 
had ascended into heaven, right? The beginning of the church. It says, once when they were going to the place of prayer, we met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. How did this demon-possessed girl know about that, that they were the servants of the Most High God? The Spirit the, the demon knew Jesus way before anybody else knew Jesus. So she's like helping him. She doesn't even realize it. Verse 18, she says, she kept this up for many days. I don't know how they were that patient. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, not to the girl, it says to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. How easy is that? How easy is that to return home and tell all that Jesus has done for us to help those who are demon-possessed and just simply say, out in the name of Jesus and to watch people be free from oppression and possession. I oftentimes, when I'm praying with someone to receive Christ, I'll just say, Lord, you know, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And they'll say, Lord, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. It's a different voice, isn't it? It was lower. I worked on it. And, and then I'll say, I'll say, if I've invited anything into my life, if I've invited anything into my life that is not of you, that is not of you, may it leave me and never return in the name of Jesus. May it leave me and never. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer, but we're going to right now. Because sometimes we don't know what we've invited into our life. We don't know what we viewed or listened to that really was us offering our interest and opening our hearts to the enemy. The first way to know we're free is to give our lives to Jesus. But the next thing to do is to cast out anything that is not of him. It's to open our life to him and clean out the house and make sure the enemy never Returns. That's the point of what Jesus did here, is that we would choose to follow him, make all things new in our life, and be set free so that we can return home, go out into our workplace, go out into the community, and share all that Jesus has done for us. It's not going to be clean and perfect, and I can't give you an ABC, this is how to make it go. It's going to be messy, and we just need to trust God in the moment to reveal to us what to do. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to come. And, and we get to open up passages like this that honestly, they're awkward <laughs> to say the least. But you've opened up the door for us to be able to make our lives completely new through faith in you. We can put our faith in you and, and, and be free through you like this man was. And he became a disciple in an instant. That's why he was sitting at your feet clothed and, and he wanted to follow you, but you immediately sent him on mission. You don't bring us here so we can put our faith in you to then have to wait five years before you ever use us. You want to send us out right in the mess of our life and be productively sharing in our homes in our workplaces, all that you're doing for us. And yeah, we might encounter something, we don't know how to deal with it, but we gotta trust you. So if somebody's here and they've never invited you into their life, or maybe just to renew our commitment to you, we're all gonna pray, Jesus, come into my life today. I will choose to follow you as my Lord and Savior, the ruler of my life. All authority is yours in my life. And God, 
if I've invited anything into my life that is not of you, I command it to go in the name of Jesus that my life would be only yours. And may that never return if it's not of you. I want to be set free. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. God's stirring something in you. And I don't know what it is, but we want to just seal it. We're going to sing a worship song. And while you're contemplating your response, you can turn that connection card over again and and, and look at the options there and go, man, what's next for me? Like, how do I walk this talk out? There's some options on the left and there's some options on the right, but maybe you just need somebody to pray personally with you. As soon as we're done and Bruce will close us, a couple of us will be down here to pray with you. Uh, But first, we want to just give you an opportunity to think about what you just heard and we're going to worship as you do that today again. So you could stand or sit, whatever you want to do.